Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Good morning. It's great to see everybody here. It's great to see some of you that have been traveling, and I, I can't wait to hear more about uh, some of your travels. And, um, Kelly and I are going to be leaving here uh, this week on, on a little trip for our anniversary. Our 35th is coming up, uh, Lord willing, next Monday. Um, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in the story of Noah and the ark? you believe that? Uh, you know, I think most people heard that story as a child, right? Now, uh, some of the, the children's books um, are interesting in terms of the, the way that they portray the story. Some of them are not quite accurate, but we all heard the story um, in, in one variation or, an, or another. And I think because we heard about it as a child, there's a danger that we might file it away kind of under the category of, of fairy tales. In other words, you, you've got Snow White, you've got Sleeping Beauty, you've got, uh, uh, I don't know, Beauty and the Beast, Wizard of Oz, Snow and the Ark. I don't know. We, we might categorize it that way. But I believe in the story of Noah and the Ark, and, and it, for at least a couple of reasons. Number one, there are over 270 different cultures around the world that have ancient stories about a great flood. And they basically tell the same story, the, that man became corrupt, that the flood was worldwide, that eight people survived the flood. Representatives of all the land animals were saved. Uh, there was a dove released to fly off to, dr to find dry land. Survivors came down from a mountain to repopulate the whole world. And the hero's name is, is often a variant of what we call Noah in English. It's Nu'u or Nu or Nuwa or Nos or Na or in, the, in the various languages. And historians and anthropologists kind of have a, a, a general rule that when they encounter stories that are repeated across a number of different cultures that seem to align, they, they add a lot of weight to that. In other words, if there's a lot of the facts that agree, they, they say that basically the story is true or at least based on truth. Okay, good. There's some apologetics for you. But, of course, I believe for reasons more than that, and then that is it's in the Bible. Uh, I, and, and it, so it not only is a story in the Old Testament, it's, it's also in the New Testament as well. So Hebrews 11.7, thank you for the reading uh, uh, Amen. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, not yet seen, we're going to talk about that in just a minute, moved with godly fear, reverence, respect, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So there's the New Testament writer uh, of, of the book of Hebrews. Peter says in, in, in 2 Peter 2, he says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. But, and Jesus himself references Noah. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day 
that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. You see, mankind had become unbelievably, unimaginably evil. There was no kindness in these people. There was no compassion. They, you might say they couldn't even think clean thoughts. So the word, the Hebrew word that is translated violence in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 11, that they were full of violence, that Hebrew word is Hamas. C-H-A-M-A-S is the way you would transliterate it. Hamas. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, Hamas, like the Palestinian organization. Oh, that's where that comes from. No, it isn't. Don't conflate the two. Hamas, the Palestinian organization, is actually a, a, an acronym of other Arabic words. There's interesting parallels here that we can go into later. I won't do it publicly. There's interesting parallels between the Hebrew word Hamas and the Hamas of the Palestinian organization. But that Hebrew word is more than violence. The base root of it is treating others with contempt, which results in violence oftentimes. It results in other bad things. So let me, let me say it this way. Do you want to know how people can kill others indiscriminately? Do you know how the, the, the Jews could be exterminated? Not just the Jews. There were Jehovah's Witnesses and gypsies and, and homosexuals and all kinds of others that were killed by the Nazis. Do you know how that can happen? Habas. When I look at you and I disdain you, when I look at you and I think you are less than because you're a Jew, because you're white, because you're black, because you are a Muslim, because you whatever category you want to put on it, when I can degrade you, I can do anything I want to. You're less than a mouse or less than a roach. I can kill you indiscriminately. If I don't care about you as a, as a human, if I don't value you as a human, you better watch out because humans are capable of really, really terrible things. Some of you are familiar with an experiment. It was called the Stanford Prison Experiment. In fact, it goes by a, an acronym now, the SPE, the Stanford Prison Experiment. Nin early 1970s, they took a group of students, they allegedly sorted them, uh, sorted out the crazy people. That, that remains to be seen. Or remains, that's up for debate. They basically took a group of college students, made half of them the, the prisoners, half of them the guards, and said, go at it. They had to stop the experiment within like 48 hours because the guards were so cruel to the, to the pr prisoners. These are just average, mostly white. I think, I don't, I don't remember what the, the ethnic makeup was, but I think they were mostly white, just college kids. And they became cruel in a heartbeat. Why? Because they were told these prisoners had committed crimes, they, which... They had to know they didn't, but they they, had, they were violent, uh, uh, capable, or they, they had committed all kinds of violent crimes, blah, blah, blah. They became cruel instantly. I say all that to say the world had become that way across 
the population. I also say it to say, well, wow, that was really bad back then, and, and we don't have that today. Wow, that was... Or, yeah, that had really become super violent, and those people were really terrible. The Bible talks about them being only evil all the time, or only evil continually. You go, well, we don't have that today. We do in pockets. We absolutely do in pockets. You want to know how someone can walk into a school and do what they did in Uvalde and in Buffalo and on and on and on? Because they don't value human. They don't value human life. So my question to you is, do you value human life? Do you value others, especially those that you don't agree with, you don't like, you don't like the way they look, you don't like the way they talk, you don't like the way that they worship, etc. Because brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, we're capable of really ugly, evil, nasty things, including violence and murder. We have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our minds. You think, oh, that didn't apply to me. I'm not a violent person. I've never shot a gun in my life. That's not the only way you could be capable of doing some of the things that were going on in the world. We have to guard our hearts and minds. So before we skip over that passage in, in, in Genesis 6 and other places, that, that word Hamas appears in Scripture about 60 different times, translated into different words. We need to guard our hearts. But there was one man that was very different and was unquestionably righteous. Genesis chapter 6, number, verse number 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect or complete in his generations. Noah walked with God. But what is it that made Noah so righteous? What was it that made him so different from everybody else? He just wasn't. The, he was the only guy that wasn't around going around killing people. Well, it clearly wasn't only murder in a physical sense or violence in, in a physical sense. There were other kinds of evil going on. There were other kinds of, of denigrations going on. So we don't know exactly what, what, what all the evil that was going on, but we do know the things that made Noah righteous. And that's really what I want us to talk about today. I think the key verse for us to talk about today is this. Genesis chapter 8, verse number 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So this principle of seed time and harvest, it of course applies to the earth. In other words, it applies to trees and plants and crops and people. But it can also apply to other areas of our life. When the, when the words seed time and harvest are read together, we, we tend to focus on the word harvest, right? We, we love the harvest. Harvest is the time where we go with an empty basket and we come back with a full basket. We go, uh, we step out into an abundant, overflowing, plentiful pastures. We love that passage in the New Testament talks about the, the fields are white unto harvest. We, we love that imagery. 
The problem is that we will never have the harvest without first planting the seed. And that's hard work. You think harvest is rough. In seed time can be even more difficult. Why? Because it's often wet and cold when the seed goes in the ground. You've got to break up the ground or, or somehow do some kind of preparation for it. You, you plant the seed and nothing happens for like weeks, right? It, th there's more work that goes on seemingly in the seed time. And often, if not 100% of the time, seed time comes before harvest whenever you read it too. It's, and it's there for a reason. But you see, Noah's harvest was righteousness. His, but he never would have harvested righteousness without first planting the seeds that lead to righteousness. So this morning, that's what I want us to focus on, is the seeds that Noah planted. The first thing I want us to notice is that he planted the seed of faith. Back to Hebrews 11.7. I want you to read it with a little bit of a different focus. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen. Let's spend a minute on that. Divinely warned of things not seen. Well, clearly the world had never seen a worldwide flood. So when Noah was talking about that for roughly 120 years as he was building, he and his sons and, and, and his daughters-in-law and his uh, wife were building the, the ark, making all the preparation. Clearly there had never been a, a worldwide flood before, but... Do you know that it had never rained on the earth? Clouds formed. I don't know whether clouds formed earlier than, than that. I don't know. But it had never formed into clouds and then fell as precipitation. The condensation had fell as precipitation. That had never happened before. It had been watered by dew from the ground, Genesis tells us. That's how the earth got watered. So when you walk out and there's a heavy dew, you walk out to get your paper maybe, that's a, there's a physical thing called a newspaper that some of you may not know what I'm talking about. So they deliver it to your house occasionally, right, Dad? Sometimes they'll deliver it to you. Most of the time they don't. You've got to call them. Anyway, it had, it, the, the dew would come up from the ground, and that's how everything got watered. So not only was he preparing this massive box, it wasn't an ocean-going vessel. The ark means box. There was going to flood. The, there was going to be rain that flooded the whole world. What? Are you crazy? And he went through that. Are you crazy? In some way, shape, or form. Oh, by the way, are you quite crazy in a world that was exceedingly violent and evil? Okay. So you are building an ark in like downtown Detroit or Watts during the 70s in L.A., or, um, I don't know, in the middle of um, some town in Afghanistan during a war. I don't know, some imagery of craziness going around you while you're building the ark. And by faith, Noah, he was warned of things not yet seen. He was moved with godly fear. Him and his family against literally the world. They prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which his actions condemned the world. He didn't condemn the world. His actions were saying, I'm doing what God's telling me to do, and by definition, you aren't. He became the heir of righteousness. He inherited righteousness, which is according to 
faith. He planted the seed of faith and he harvested, received, inherited righteousness. He built an ark because he believed God. Every tree that he cut down, every plank of wood that he sawed, every swing of the hammer shouted out faith. Clearly no one else believed him. But in faith, he went on working. Building an ark, warning others of the coming judgment. The Bible refers to him as a preacher. A preacher of righteousness. And as a final act of faith, when he was finished, he and his family stepped onto the ark, God closed the door, and as soon as he did, the Bible says it started to rain. So people are, I, I can just envision it. The Bible doesn't say this, but I can envision people going, what are you doing? You're going into this box, the door gets closed, and then sprinkle, 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 rain. What on earth is that? And then it became abundantly clear. You see, there's a lot of misconceptions about faith. Some people believe that having faith is the ability to maybe manipulate God. They don't use that word, but they, they see faith as having the aim is having a life of blessing. I do this to get that. What's called in Latin, quid pro quo. I do this to get that. And Bruce mentioned it this morning. We don't give in order to be blessed. That's not the way that the deal works. We give because it's a commandment. But God says He will bless that. Just like with Noah. He, he said, these are the things that you need to do. And Noah did those things. And was he and his family blessed? Yes, they were. But he was being obedient, first and foremost, from faith, out of faith. You see, through faith, God will constantly provide them a get-out-of-jail-free get card, is what some people think. If I do this for others, if I'm a good person, if I go to church and do all those things, then God will bail me out of my jams. That's not true. Others see faith as an adherence to a set of belief. You've got to believe the right doctrine. But 2 Timothy 1, when he, Paul is writing there to Timothy, he, says, he does not say, I know what I have believed. That I have believed this set of credos. Paul, Paul doesn't say, I know what I have believed. He says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. I know the person, the man that I believe. If your beliefs are not founded on the right person, and that person is Jesus Christ, then it doesn't really matter what else you believe. If it's not focused on Jesus Christ and Him crucified, then all of your doctrines are empty. You see, true faith is described in the book of Hebrews as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There in 11.1. Faith is the ability to trust what we cannot see. By definition, that's, that was Noah's whole modus operandi. He was never seen a worldwide flood, never seen it rain, never seen a collection of animals and critters like that. One night a house caught on fire. And a young boy 
was able to get out of his window and get up on the roof. And his father was on the ground, and, and he was calling up to him saying, Jump, I'll catch you. But all the boy could see is smoke and flames and blackness. And the father kept yelling, Jump, I'll catch you. But Dad, I can't see you. The father shouted, But I can see you. And that's all that matters. The boy jumped because he trusted his father. We can't see sometimes clearly. There is smoke and flames and blackness. We can't always see to the end. In fact, it's rare that we can see even the next step or two. That's called walking by faith, not by sight. If Noah had walked by sight, I don't know what would have happened to mankind. Would God have started all over with another Garden of Eden? I have no idea. But that's why this story is told around the world in 200 plus cultures. That's why it's in our Bible to teach us the ultimate in, I have no idea what's going to happen, but God, I'm going to believe you and I'm going to moreover do what you ask me to do. Which brings us to our next point. Noah planted the seed of obedience. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. And then in the next chapter, and Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. You've heard sermons before where they've asked this kind of rhetorical question, but I, I think I'll, I'll ask it again. The Bible says that he was told to make the, the ark out of gopher wood. Some translations say shittim wood, S-H-I-T-T-I-M, shittim wood. We don't really know exactly what that is, but... Here's the rhetorical question. If he would have said, you know what? Pines are a little closer to where I live. I'd rather use that than gopher wood. Would the ark have succeeded in protecting them? Likely not. If he'd have said, you know what? The dimensions that you're talking about, eh, that's, that's, not, that's not easy to, to do. I'm going to make it a little shorter or a little wider. One window at the top? Nah, I need a little more ventilation. I'm going to do two windows at the top, etc. I, I don't know, but I just somehow doubt that that thing would have floated. God would have frustrated that. But no, these two passages, along with the, the passage in, in Hebrews, talks about, by faith, Noah did the deal. Did it make sense to him? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. There are situations where our forefathers argued with God back and forth. Moses, Abraham, others kind of had a discussion with God. Some of the prophets. The Bible doesn't talk about Noah doing that. I don't know. Maybe he had questions. But we know what he did. He did all that God commanded him. I don't love the way Moses wrote this in Genesis 6. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. I'd like to reemphasize it. I think that's pretty cool. Noah had a choice. You have a choice. I have a choice. We can either obey God and be saved, or we can disobey and perish with everybody else. I, 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 don't, I don't want to boil it down quite that simply. I, I, I don't know. 
Um, but I guess that's what it is. Of course, Noah chose to obey, and through his obedience, he saved his wife, three sons, their wives. But that cost was not cheap, as we talked about earlier. He was building this thing for 120 years or so, and, and he was likely abused and ridiculed throughout that entire time. But despite everything going on around him, sneering and mocking and jeering and whatever else was going on, he continued to plant the seeds of obedience. Jesus said in John 14, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him. The cost of obedience to God is not cheap. The cost of discipleship. It's difficult to be obedient to God in a world that is Godless, that is without God. It's, it's, we live in the buckle of the Bible belt right here. Churches everywhere. It's not unusual to go to a restaurant in Norman, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, Edmond, this neck of the woods, and see people praying over their meals in a restaurant. That's not unusual. Go to other places in the country, that's a little more unusual. It's probably even more common in places like Searcy. I don't know, right? Where there's lots of, of, of church schools and lots of churches. The, the, the uh, concentration of churches of Christ in some places is even greater than here. But it's still a world where God is not universally reverenced. It's still a world that it's difficult to obey His Word, His word in a world where the Scriptures are abused, misused, mocked in some cases, right here in Norman, Oklahoma. And I'm not just talking about on the campus. It's difficult to obey the Spirit's leading in a world that obeys the desires of the flesh. A dear friend of mine is, is a police um, executive right here in Norman, Oklahoma. And he said, if I had 20 detectives to investigate sex crimes and sex crimes against children, I could keep them busy constantly in Norman, Oklahoma. That's right here, folks. Violence, Hamas, is right here. We have to be the light. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're participating in internet pornography in any way, you are absolutely feeding into that. You are aiding, abetting sin and evil on a worldwide scale. Right there on your phone, right there on your tablet, right there on your computer. So as you are endeavoring to follow God's Word, Planes take off against the wind. Yes, you're fighting against the wind. Yes, you're fighting against the prevailing winds. Yes, you're, 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 you no longer live, if you ever did live, and we can argue about that, that you live in a Christian nation. What does that matter? Why should that matter? I don't care whether you are living as a Christian. If you're listening to this broadcast and you're in Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, or Germany, or North America, it doesn't matter. Noah lived in a world that was 100% against what he was doing. 
save those eight people. And you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone because of other brothers and sisters, and you're not alone because of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, as was prayed this morning. You see, Noah planted the seed of obedience at great personal cost, but he harvested salvation and righteousness. In a world that's not unlike Noah's in many ways, a world where if you publicly uphold the morality of Scripture, you can get arrested for hate speech. That happens right now in Canada. Right now! There are certain passages, if you preach hard on it, they're going to come looking for you. You see, we have to keep faithfully planting the seeds of obedience. Obedience to God, obedience to His Word, obedience to the leading of the Spirit. Noah planted the seed of worship as well. You say, worship? What are you talking about? Look, at, look in Genesis chapter 8. They're, they're fresh off the boat, as they say. Fresh off the boat, what does Noah do? He built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When Noah and his family left the ark, they were it. All their neighbors were gone. Their other family members, dead. Their home and everything they knew was gone. They were up on a mountain. They had no idea where they were. But they didn't start complaining. They didn't start crying. They didn't start whining. The first thing that Noah did not do is to say, okay, I got, I got my bug out bag. I got my survival kit. Okay, so we need to make a fire. We need to get some food. We... That's not what he did. He built an altar to the Lord and worshipped. He planted the seed of worship. And I'm not just talking about a public worship. Sometimes it's called corporate worship. Corporate meaning the word um, body or, or the corpus. I'm talking about he's, he was worshiping with his life. He was worshiping, yes, externally, but he was clearly worshiping internally as well. Thankful to God, saying, you are worthy, O Lord. That's the root of worship. You are worthy. That's why we sing these songs of adoration to God, thanksgiving to God, praising Him, praising His name, praising His deeds, praising His faithfulness, praising His love for us. And, and you know, a lot of people look at the word worship and they think that that's somehow, that it means singing songs, or it means praying, or it means giving, or it means communing. And all those are elements, but Really, worship is a lifestyle. Worship is considering God worthy 24-7, not just when we come together a couple, three times a week. It's really the way in which we live our lives. You see, we see people in the Bible that worship at work, at home, in battle, in jail, and even in bed. It should be the first thing you do. When you wake up in the morning, the last thing you do, and it can take the form of prayer, but God, thank you. I worship you. You, you, you are the source of, of all that I have and all that I am. 
So the question is, are you planting seeds of worship in your life? Considering Him worthy. Because when our focus is on Him, that's part of obedience, which is part of faith. When we consider Him worthy and, we, and, and worthy of our praise and adoration, it puts us in the proper perspective. Most of us, me included, way too often, I'm at the center of the universe. And everything else needs to revolve around me. I am the most important. I may not say those words, but my actions, my attitudes, my facial expressions will reflect that. That's not what Noah did. Last thing that we want to talk about today. We're nearly, nearly finished here. You can't reap what you haven't sown, and you'll always reap more than you sow. Look what Paul said in Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. That is a promise. That is also a curse simultaneously. If we saw that in, in Isaiah, we, once we saw it a hundred times. Yes, there's, there's, there's uh, commandments with promise. There's commandments with promise of blessing. There's commandments with promise of destruction. And I think this is one of them. You're going to sow whatever you sow. That is what you're going to reap. In fact, Hosea says if you, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. What does this mean? Sowing and reaping is a well-known physical principle of life. You're going to reap more than you sow. If you go and plant a potato in the ground, are you going to get one potato? No, you're going to get multiple potatoes. You plant one seed of, of corn in the ground, are you going to get one kernel of corn? No. Are you going to get one ear of corn? No. You're going to get multiple ears of corn. You're always going to reap more than you sow, and you're going to get what you sow. If you plant corn, are you going to get potatoes? No, you're going to get corn. So it's true in the physical sense. It's true in the spiritual sense. Many people, when their life collapses around them, they're going to blame God. It's God's fault. Or it's my parents' fault. Or it's my boss's fault. Or whatever. The reality is they're reaping the harvest of the seeds that they have sown. If your life today isn't where it should be, if it isn't what it could be, rather than turn and blame God for your situation, stop and look at the seeds that you've planted. If your marriage is based on lies and deception, if you have a Flintstone marriage, you know I'm talking about Flintstones? Let me go further back. If you have a honeymooners marriage, some of you may not know that reference. Flintstones was a kind of a takeoff of the honeymooners. There were lies and deceptions all the time, hiding things from each other, right? I'm going to spend this money, and I didn't want Wilma to know about it, and I'm going to go buy this dress, and I don't want Fred to know about it, and they always get caught in the end. Same thing with Lucy and, and, and Desi, Desi Arnaz, Lucy and Ricky. That, that was kind of modeled. Oh, you've got to hide those things. If that's what your marriage is based on, guess what? You're going to harvest not righteousness and peace. You're going to harvest trouble and perhaps divorce ahead. If you're planting seeds of, of, of sexual immorality, if you're sleeping around, if you're um, engaging in all, all kinds of, of immoral things, you're going to reap a harvest of problems. Sowing seeds of discord, gossip, hatred, 
being an upstanding citizen in one venue and then denigrating people in another, talking bad about those lousy Republicans, those lousy Democrats, fill in the blank, whatever categories, you, however you want to divide it, those crazy old people, all those, those worthless young people, however you want to divide it. If you're sowing those seeds, then you're going to reap a harvest of conflict in relationships. You're going to sow. If you're going to sow those kinds of seeds, you're going to reap those kinds of harvests. You sow the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. But if you sow righteousness, if you sow obedience, if you sow worship, if you sow faith, God is faithful and He promises that He will, whatever man sows, that will He also reap. This is not just a negative promise. This is a positive promise as well. When you sow those seeds, now they may not show up immediately. Like we talked about earlier, you put a seed in the ground and you stand there and say, well, I did it. And the Bible says that if I... If I will seed, if I will sow rather, and and water, it'll, it's God who'll give the increase. True, yes. Okay, I'm ready. Ready, go. Ready, go. It doesn't work that way when you plant a garden, when you plant anything. It doesn't work that way. Plant a crop. Sometimes the harvest falls outside of what we can see. Falls outside of the time frame that we see it. Are you scattering seeds of righteousness, faith, obedience, worship? Or are you sowing even tiny seeds? The Bible talks about tiny seeds too. Remember mustard seeds? You ever seen the, a mustard seed plant? Look it up. Google it. It's a big, stalked, gnarly looking thing out of a teeny tiny seed. So even though the seed that you're planting is small, maybe, in the heart of someone else, in the mind of someone else, if it's positive or negative, it could grow into something very large. I had the opportunity, I got a phone call about nine months ago or so from a guy that I worked with briefly 31 years ago. He called, hey, how you doing, Mark? This is Greg. I didn't remember Greg from a man on the moon. He said, man, I've always thought about you, and I've always remembered you, and, and I, I know you're a Christian, and, and uh, we're living back here in Oklahoma now, and we, we want to come and work with you. Awesome. Okay, great. I'm not saying that to brag on me. I'm saying that, Seeds get planted and they harvest in weird times and in weird ways sometimes, but ways that we don't expect. So you may or may not see it. You may or may not see it in your own children or grandchildren. It, it may not come to pass in ways and in times that you'll see. The question is, what are you sowing? Are you sowing the things that God wants you to sow? We all want the, the harvest of righteousness. We all want the harvest of salvation. We all want the good part. Do the work necessary. Do the things necessary to prepare your heart and your mind and to scatter those seeds for yourself and for others.
if we can help you this morning in that walk, in that scattering of seed, if what you've harvested is the whirlwind, in Oklahoma we would call that a tornado. Some of you know, understand the concept of chaos theory. A butterfly flapped its wings one where, and you get a tornado somewhere else. What is the tornado that's going on in your life? Let's pray about it. Let's talk about it. Let's work through it together. If we can help you this morning, let us know as we sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.